This episode of Above and Beyond is sponsored by Compassion International. To sponsor a child today, simply visit Compassion.com above. First and foremost, thank you to all of you that downloaded the first episode of Above and Beyond. It was went above and beyond my expectation, your feedback. I loved it. And you can always find these podcasts as well if you want to share them with others and friends at aboveandbeyondpodcast.com. And Matt Hasselbeck taught us a lot about humility and authenticity. And I can't wait for you to dig into the next 40 minutes with Tony Dungy. Many times in professional sport, perception and reality are so skewed. And when I was traded for a fifth round pick from Seattle to Indianapolis, as Tony took over Colts organization and ultimately took them to the very top, being the first African-American coach to win a Super Bowl. When I got to be a part of that, I saw perception and what I wanted to perceive and hope so desperately to see and feel actually lived out. A coach who never swore, a coach who lived his character and his faith in an incredible way and presented an incredible way on a daily basis. You all know the poise personified. You've seen it on the sidelines. You've seen the grace as he's transitioned to the broadcast booth. What you don't know, what you haven't heard, is growing up with racism and the conviction with which he lived his life and the decisions he made at even a young age, even further when he lost his own son when his oldest son, James, committed suicide and how he walked through those experiences. It's not just the highs, but experiencing incredible suffering and pain and how his faith lived out in those moments as well. You'll get a chance to hear that and so much more now as I welcome in Coach Dungy. And let's take it way back into parts I don't even know. Coach, where did your faith journey begin? Brock, I grew up, uh, my grandfather was a minister, my dad's father. Uh, so I was around the gospel very early age. Two of my uncles were ministers. My dad was a uh, school teacher. He taught college science classes, but my mom uh, taught Sunday school. So she would practice her lessons on us on Thursday nights. And we'd hear all the stories and She'd make sure that, uh, you know, everything was clear. And so I, I can remember hearing Bible stories from a very, very early age. And uh, at one point early on, the question was asked, do you want to go to heaven? And I, I raised my hand as a, a four or five-year-old, and that, that was definitely um, the preferred destination. So how do you do that? And, uh, you know, I knew about accepting Christ. So I think I made that decision as, as a young person, but I didn't really know everything that it entailed. And like, like a lot of boys, uh, especially getting into middle school and high school, athletics became kind of the driving force in, in my life. And, and I had to get good grades because both my parents were teachers. I wanted to be an athlete and, and play. So those became the things that were first in, in my life. And that commitment I made to Christ, it was always there, but it wasn't on the front burner. And I think I continued on that way for a, a number of years, God just kind of protecting me, but me not having that full-blown commitment uh, until I got to Pittsburgh uh, as, as a rookie player in the NFL. Well, this podcast is Faith in Sports, and I think as we dig in, and obviously our shared experience in Indianapolis, and as you competed in those sports before, as you said, you were really, what, awakened or, or walking or living for the Lord, do you remember how you competed on those sports fields? <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, 150 miles an hour and winning was everything. As, as uh, 
Coach Lombardi was quoted. Uh, my my buddies uh, that grew up with me in Jackson, Michigan, when people describe me as calm and cool and composed, they just laugh their heads off because I was not that way. I was the the guy who got thrown out of games. I got you know fights, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, winning was so important to me and. Uh, I can remember just going home crying after I lost games, and and uh, that that's that was the driving force in my life as a youngster. What would Grandpa or Sunday school teacher Mom say to that? <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble, and I, I had a lot of talks. And uh, the one thing my dad was uh, great at, though, was trying to get you to figure things out on your own. And so uh, I remember getting kicked out of a game in junior high school, junior high basketball game, and. Um, my dad said, well, when you were back there in the locker room, you know, how did it feel? And I, th- I thought about it and I said, well, you know, I got my point across and I, and I thought I made my point. He said, did, did, did you help your team win? Uh, you know, and he just kept drilling at that. What what were you doing? Letting out those emotions, but you were, really weren't doing anything to help where my mom would at least give me a little sympathy. My dad was always Look at yourself, and and what can you do to make it better? And that's what he asked me that day, and that's when it first started clicking in. Did you do anything to make the situation better? And I said, really, I didn't. We hung on and won the game, but I didn't contribute at all. And he said, well, that probably wasn't very smart. Uh, And and that's how he he tried to get it to me. Now, my mom, on the other hand, would always go back to the Bible. What, What does God have to say about this? Do you think Jesus would be pleased with your behavior? And I'd always shoot back as an eight or nine year old or ten year old. Well, I think Jesus would be happy we won, but <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Uh, you know, it took me a while to to get what my mom was trying to trying to say. Okay, hold on a second. Kicked out of a junior high basketball game. Oh yeah. For what? Fighting. Guy fouled me, and I didn't think the uh, official was calling it the right way, and he kept you know trying to play me uptight, and uh, it was just one of those things. What I, I just ended up starting a big big fight the last game last regular season game of my high school career i got kicked out two technical fouls um and and we lost that game unfortunately but i i was always right on the edge and trying to keep my composure and finally i got to the university of minnesota and tom moore who who you know very well uh was my quarterback coach and he said you're not going to be able to play if you can't keep yourself under control uh the quarterback has to be the leader and you've got to do a better job at this. And and that's when I first started calming down and thinking about my responsibility as a leader. So the Tony Dungy that, that the country got used to seeing, stoic on the sidelines and, and not showing those emotions, <laughs> what would that Tony Dungy oh. say to the Tony Dungy in high school? Well, I wouldn't be like my dad. I would tell my boys, and I've had to do that, hey, you have to calm down. I'm not going to allow you to play if you can't keep your composure. Now, my, my dad didn't do it that way, but, yeah, I would be embarrassed now at watching myself as a junior high or high school player. Would you call that grace? That would be grace. Yes, that would be the definition of grace. And even when I wasn't completely sold out, I I wasn't following the Lord all the way. He was still walking me to places where he wanted me to be, putting me in touch with the right people, uh, guiding me along the way. I can remember talk about being a a knucklehead. Um, I was a a good player. We had good teams and everything, basketball, football, baseball. Basketball was my favorite sport. Uh, but I, I was a good football player. And uh, going into my senior year, uh, finishing up my junior year in high school, um, the team voted, selected captains. And uh, my best friend, uh, we'd, we'd grown up together since first grade, 
Uh, we played. We both were on the varsity as sophomores. We set all kinds of records as juniors. I was elected, selected captain. He wasn't. It was a predominantly white school, uh, two African-Americans, and I just felt like uh, it was racism uh, on the part of my, our head coach just not wanting that to happen. So I quit right at the banquet, <laughs> the, our junior banquet. I said, I'm not playing anymore. This is ridiculous. And uh, I was not going to play football as a senior. My junior high assistant principal, a guy by the name of Leroy Rockamore, I hadn't seen him for probably four years. Uh, he heard on the street, rumor on the street, that I wasn't going to play football. He called me up and told me to come over to his house. And we just had had that kind of relationship in junior high where I, I went over. I didn't even really know what he wanted to talk about, but I went and visited him, and he talked to me for a long time that night. My dad had tried to talk some sense into me. Is this what's going to make things better? Uh, even if you think it's racism, how are you going to help the situation by just turning your back on it? But I didn't want to listen to my dad. But Mr. Rockamore, after a long time, said, you know, you enjoy playing football. Why would you let anything in the world stand in the way of doing something that you enjoy? And uh, when I thought about that, I said, you know, you're right. This really doesn't make sense. But uh, had it not been for my relationship with him, I probably wouldn't even played football as a senior in high school. Tony, I'm feeling a passionate kid, maybe even a young man and one who has a lot of conviction and willing to stand for that conviction. But where's your faith at this point? I don't have many regrets about my life, but I was very stagnant growing spiritually in college. I, I didn't do crazy stuff. I didn't go off the deep end, but my faith didn't grow at all. Um, I didn't go to church much. Um, you know, my parents would call and ask me, hey, you're going, but we always had meetings, study halls, that kind of thing. And uh, I, I really didn't grow. But again, fortunately, uh, the Lord was watching out for me. And uh, after my senior year, the draft came around this time of year. I'm waiting to get drafted. I'd been an all Big Ten quarterback and uh, kind of felt like I was going to play quarterback in the NFL. And I didn't get drafted. And, and that stung a little bit. Uh, Montreal Alouettes in the Canadian League had my rights. Marv Levy was the coach and general manager at the time. He came down to see me and he said, I, I think you can be a great Canadian League quarterback. Um, they offered me some guaranteed money uh, and kind of big money at that time, about $50,000. Um, and I, I said, let me think about it. And Tom Moore had been my quarterback coach. He had just gone to Pittsburgh. And he gave me a call and he said, um, Coach Noah wants to sign you. We're going to move you to a different position, but uh, we can give you a $2,000 signing bonus and we'll see what happens. So I thought about that and the difference between playing quarterback, which I loved, and, but playing in the Canadian League and going to the Pittsburgh Steelers and playing with the best and seeing if I could measure myself against the best. Uh, I said, that's what I'm going to do. It didn't make sense at all. It wasn't logical. Uh, all my friends, all my advisors, everybody told me I was crazy because there was no way I was going to make the Steeler team change in positions. And, and they had a tremendous team at the time. They had won two Super Bowls already. Uh, it just didn't, it wasn't logical, but something inside me was leading me that way. And it really was the Holy Spirit. 
I got to Pittsburgh thinking I'm going because this is the, the best football team in, in the NFL at the time, but it was really, for me, the best spiritual opportunity. As soon as I got there, I ran into some guys who were uh, the most uh, dynamic, on-fire Christian athletes that I had ever been around. Uh, they were Christians 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not just on Sunday afternoons like I was. Uh, and it, it made all the difference in, in my life. Now, Tony, we talked earlier about your conviction when you felt there was racism involved in high school and your willingness to take a stand at that point. You don't get drafted? Did those emotions flare up again? You know, I played in the in the Big Ten and done well. Um, I, I knew I could, could play. I'd, all I'd ever done was play quarterback. And uh, some guys got drafted that – played in the Big Ten that I, I felt I was better than they were. Here was, um, you know, Marv Levy saying, oh, you'd be outstanding in, in Canada, but uh, nobody in the NFL really is going to give you a chance. So uh, I, I did. I wondered about it. I thought maybe it's just, you know, it's different. I, I, I don't know. But I, I, I thought, yes, there really it is a struggle for black quarterbacks. Uh, Warren Moon was a year behind me. Uh, he came out the next year went through the same situation. He ended up going to Canada and winning five Grey Cups and then coming back and being a Hall of Fame player in the NFL. But at that time, it, it was tough for African-American quarterbacks. What was mom and dad's counsel? Did dad say, take the 50 grand? And mom say, <laughs> no, uh, my dad was always, hey, you've got to do what you think is going to make the situation better. My mom, you know, was, hey, pray about it, make the right decision. And she was the one that so, so, you know, spiritually logical. Hey, money's not going to make you or break you. If you follow the Lord, you're going to get all your needs taken care of. So don't worry about that part of it. Go where you feel comfortable. And I think that's the the counsel that uh, that really got to me. And and something in my heart just said, I, I want to play with the best. And even if I don't get to play the the position that I know how to play and that I love to play, uh, I want to be around the best. And I think those Steelers teams are pretty good in the 70s. Brock, I'm telling you, that was the biggest thing in my life right there. I, I got to Pittsburgh in 1977. I'm a rookie at the rookie mini camp. I'm sitting in the front row with my notebook out. And Coach Noel, his first words to us were, gentlemen, welcome to the National Football League. You're now getting paid to play football, so that makes it your profession. But don't make football your life. If you make football your life, you're making a huge mistake and you'll leave the game disappointed. Very first thing coach ever said to us. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? I, I came here to win Super Bowls. Football is my life. And over the next 10 years of playing for him and coaching for him, I got to understand what he was talking about, that, that football could be a part of your life, a big part of your life, but it couldn't be the most important thing. And then um, – even more beneficial than that, they switched me to safety. Coach says, I'm going to put you in uh, the room with Donnie Shell. He's going to be your roommate. Watch him. L look at everything he does. He'll lead you in the right direction. He'll help you make this transition. And Donnie was a great player. Went on to you know, be an all-decade safety man, that type of thing. But more than that, boy, he taught me spiritually. And I could see a guy who was on fire for the Lord and – Christ made a difference in his life. You could see it immediately. And uh, that's that was the turning point in my life as a 21-year-old, really learning uh, really how I was supposed to honor the Lord. What made them tick? 
what made those men set apart and to say and have that ability, which is so difficult at times in our culture today, I think, Coach Dungy, to just say, hey, man, you're not living right. Or, hey, yes. know, dig into that. What, what was it that set those guys apart that enabled them to reach the Tony Dungy? Yeah, they had the courage, number one, to live uh, their beliefs out. And they didn't worry about what anybody else thought. To stand up in pro football at that time and say, you know what, Christ is number one. You know, I want to play football, but Christ is number one. That, that took a great deal of courage at that time. But I could see the way they lived, the way they interacted with each other, um, just the, the joy that they had. I said, man, this is a special group, and I, I want what they have. So letting that light shine was, was important. But then being able to, to communicate it and, and verbalize it and uh, to, to go out and, and tell all the young guys that, that came in, hey, you need to come to chapel. You need to come to Bible study. You, you need to be here. Um, you, you've got your all of your hopes in the wrong place. And um, just to be strong enough to, to tell people that, it was, it was pretty awesome to see, and uh, I owe those guys a, a, a lot. Takes that much courage today, too, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does, because you've got everybody telling you, no, keep your beliefs inside. That's okay for you to think that, but don't tell other people what to do. Um, you know, and, and those guys were not politically correct at all. They, they uh, felt like they were on a mission, and uh, they did a great job of saving some young people like me. And then the playing career, walk me through that. Yeah, I go one year to the San Francisco 49ers. It's Bill Walsh's first year. Uh, Joe Montana is a rookie, Dwight Clark, some young guys, but the team is not very good. We're 2-14. and 14. Uh, My buddies back in Pittsburgh win another Super Bowl, mm. and we're struggling through a, a losing season. Uh, after that year, I got traded again to the New York Giants, and I got cut in training camp in 1979. So I go from uh, my second year leading the team in interceptions, winning the Super Bowl ring, to year four as a 25-year-old, Traded twice now, cut, and basically done with football. And uh, I couldn't have probably handled that as a 21-year-old, but God had prepared me for it, and I was able to sit down and pray and say, hey, I don't know what, what's in store, but, Lord, just, you know, whatever is the, the thing that you've got for me, I'm going to honor you, um, and, and I just need to see where you're going to take me. Did Tony Dungy, the player, know that he would t- turn into Tony Dungy, the coach? I did not. I did not. Ray Perkins was our coach with the Giants, and when he cut me, he said, I I think you could be a very, very good coach. I just like the way you handle yourself in training camp. I like the way you you learn. I like the way you communicate. I think one of these days you'll be a good coach, but I had never thought about it. Uh, Right after that, Coach Noel called me and said, you know, uh, if you would consider going into coaching, I can start you on on our coaching staff, uh, you know, as, as kind of a graduate assistant. I was 25 years old. Uh, and hadn't really thought about it, but it, it sounded like a good situation to me. So I ended up going back to Pittsburgh, joining the, the coaching staff. A lot of those guys were still there and still playing. Uh, but I, I can look back on it now and honestly see where God was preparing me. I, I was a quarterback in high school and college, ended up switching to defense, learning that side of the ball from some of the, the best defensive minds in, in the world played on a championship team in Pittsburgh. I got traded to see a rebuilding team with Bill Walsh and a great system, but watched him go through a 2-14 and 14 season. Uh, learned a lot of things as I came back and, and then came on Coach Noel's staff as a young 
uh, assistant coach. And I'll tell you what, in the eight years I worked for him, I learned so much more. Uh, so many of the things that uh, he told us when I was a player, I just did them without thinking because he was the coach. But when I was on the staff, I got to learn why he did things that way and what was important to him in teaching the fundamentals. So I uh, couldn't have have had a better teacher and a better experience. And then, of course, you know, being 10 years all together in the, in the Steeler uh, organization and seeing Art Rooney Sr. and Dan Rooney and how they ran the team and how they dealt with people, uh, putting the community, the fans, everyone else first, um, building up your players and, and, and making it a family type of situation. Um, it, it was just a great start to my coaching career. You've said a couple different times, Tony, as I look back now, Right, as I look back now, as I look back now over the the grace that God had over me in junior high and high school, as I look back now in those moments where you weren't in the rearview mirror, but you were in the windshield looking forward, could you feel his presence guiding you? Early on, Brock, I couldn't. And that's the amazing thing about it. I would just think about things. Sometimes I'd pray about it, but I'd really think, and I wouldn't even have logical answers for why I did things. Um, but I, I just would always take my dad's advice and my mom's advice, do what you think is going to make the situation better. Um, and and I, I didn't understand, but as I grew and got stronger in the Lord, then I, I could feel his hand and, and, you know, steps later on in life where I'd really pray about it. I'd sit and wait. I, I knew it was God direct me a certain place, but uh, I, I'd say early on in, in my walk, no, I, I was just really trying to do what I thought was best, and fortunately, God was protecting me. And then ultimately, you go to the budding program, the the program of grandeur, right? the program of nothing but success in Tampa Bay. <laughs> <laughs> About that time, people start saying, you know, this is going to be a head coach, and I, I start to get some interviews. And amazingly, I just never get any farther than the interview stage. Sometimes it's... Uh, you know, just not the right fit. S- someone else gets the job. Um, I, I remember one interview I had, Brock, honestly, the guy sat in front of me and I, I felt good about where we we're going. He liked the things I was saying. He said, I want to ask you one thing. I understand that you don't use profanity. And I said, no, I, I don't. And he said, well, I also understand that you really don't raise your voice much. And I said, I try not to. And he said, how in the world are you going to get our players to follow you, to to work hard, to, to be motivated? If you don't curse at them, you don't yell at them, these, these guys, you're not going to get them to, to do that. And I said, no, I'll, I'll do it just like my dad did. He expected me to follow him because he had my best interests at heart. I knew that. I knew he knew what he was talking about. I knew he loved me. So if I develop those kind of bonds, the players will respond. And that owner looked at me, Brock, he said, that'll never work in the NFL. That's not the way things operate up here. In those situations, in those interviews, did your faith come about? Did your openness and your conviction of who you were and what made you tick, did that ever come about as a question or an opportunity? It came across, no doubt about it. I think um, I I wanted to make sure that people knew what they were going to get if they got me. Um, that that I was going to be not a coach who happened to be a Christian, but a, a Christian who happened to be coaching their team. And I remember going to the, the Tampa interview and understanding that uh, Mr. Glazer, the owner, and his family were Jewish and just wondering how that was going to play out. But I said, I, I have to 
let them know who I am and, uh, you know, what I'm all about as, as a Christian. And, um, it was something they embraced and, and they said, Hey, we want you to, to be who you are. And that's part of the reason we're interested. Uh, we need a complete turnaround on this team and, and we think you can do it. So yeah, it was always important for me to, for people to know, uh, just how I was going to do things. You get to Indianapolis, and obviously one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play. You inherit. I had the good fortune of being a part of that. I think technically in the first team meeting, you said all the draft picks stand up, <laughs> and I didn't stand up. You're like, hey, Heward, you're, you're the fifth-round pick. Yeah, we, <laughs> we traded for you, so you go ahead and stand up as well. And I was in two rookie classes, which yes. was great. But you inherited a heck of a lot of talent but some talent that needed to believe in one another. Yes, and that was the fun part to me, to, to create that belief and to see people coming together. And uh, I remember one of the first uh, meetings I had there was uh, with the chaplain, Ken Johnson. And uh, I had met Ken at an FCA um, camp four or five years earlier. And so I knew who he was. I knew I looked in the brochure that he was the chaplain. I said, hey, come on in. We've got to strategize and talk about how we're going to build this thing. And uh, and we did some talking about the schedule and when Bible studies would be in chapel and what we wanted to do. And Ken talked to me about getting a, another uh, assistant on board to kind of help him and, and grow. So we had all these plans. Uh, we finished up the meeting. We prayed and, and uh, walked out. And, and he told me, you know, I've been here forget what it was, eight or nine years at that time. He said, this is the first time I've been in the head coach's office. And I said, really? I can't believe that, but uh, don't make yourself a stranger. We're going to, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to grow this thing together. So we had that part of it. Bill Polian, tremendous general manager who, um, you know, was well-versed in building teams, had built a Buffalo franchise into a perennial Super Bowl team and a Carolina franchise into a Super Bowl team. So, uh, I knew we were going to get good players and, and we were going to build that. But but watching it grow together and seeing, again, the city kind of come behind the team, just seeing the whole thing grow uh, was, was really, really important. Then, of course, 2006, after we had been close a few times in the playoffs to, to finally win it, to play against Lovey Smith, uh, one of my former coaches on the Buccaneers staff, um, to, to be at the pinnacle, uh, again, that was – just amazing. You ever reach out to Leroy in that moment? Your old uh, junior high teacher? To say, can you believe it? Look at this. Two African-American coaches sitting here at a Super Bowl. And I was so mad about the, the racism in high school that I almost shut this thing down. You know, I, I did think about him all, as the clock was running down in, in Super Bowl 41 and said, well, I would not have been here mm. if not for Mr. Rockmore. I thought of my dad, too, at that time, who had yeah. passed away at that point. And my dad... Uh, enlisted in the Air Force uh, to fight in World War II, was not able to fight in the regular Air Force. So he went in with the Tuskegee Airmen and an all-black unit and um, did what he thought was best to make the situation better. Came back from the war and was not able to teach in integrated schools in Washington, D.C. So uh, I'm thinking about that and just, you know, what happened with my dad in the 40s and 50s, what happened with me in the 70s as, as you know, not having two African-American captains. Now here we are in 2006 with two African-Americans leading these teams in the Super Bowl, something that uh, would have been hard to dream of. Mm-hmm. And then 
we get the call from President Bush that, uh, you know, we're coming to the White House. And I, I had to think, Brock, I couldn't believe it that, you know, one generation later after my dad wasn't allowed to teach school uh, in, in certain schools in Washington, D.C., that here, here's his son, you know, riding in the first seat in the bus to the White House and, and going in and, and meeting the president. It was pretty unbelievable. And yet, Tony, I never felt any hint of bitterness whatsoever. No, I, I think I had learned that um, over the course of, of walking with the Lord that that's, that's not the way to solve things, by being bitter. And I, I finally did take my, my dad's advice in the, into uh, account then. Well, what are you going to do to make the situation better? Uh, is being bitter, is being frustrated, is lashing out, is that going to make the situation better? No, talking about things, communication, explaining your feelings, yes, but um, bitterness doesn't help things. Coach, you also experience incredible personal hardship with the loss of your son, your oldest son, James. How do we transition to the delicate personal loss of James? Um, I think that was part of it, too. Um, football is a great laboratory, and it teaches you that you, you don't go undefeated. Uh, you have to bounce back from, from losses. You have to bounce back from injuries. And that's part of growing in football. That's part of life. And I, I think that's what God wants us to know, too, that uh, everything isn't perfect. You are going to have some, some disappointments. You are going to have some very, very difficult times. Uh, 2005 was probably our best football team, uh, probably the best football team I've, I've been around as a coach. Um, we're 13 wins in a row and rolling, and I'm 50 years old. I've, I've coached 25 years in the league, and I said, this is the way the Lord's going to do it. We're going to win this Super Bowl. Uh, it's going to be time to, to retire, go out on top, uh, maybe with an undefeated team. And uh, right after Thanksgiving, uh, my son – James is 18 years old. He's struggling with some emotional things, and he uh, decides to take his own life. And it, that, that's such a devastating blow. You, you can never prepare for that. And so now I have to think about you know, all the things that I've talked about maybe for the last 10 or 12 years on a very public platform, that the Lord is awesome. The Lord is the one who guides us. Um, the Lord is my strength, and, and I give him all the credit in my life. Well, now when something that bad happens, uh, a lot of people are looking. Are, do you really believe what you say? Uh, it's, it's tested in, in the crucible of difficult times. So that is uh, kind of what I thought about. Do I really believe these things that I've said about the Lord these last 10 or 15 years. And uh, that was the test. And my wife and I were able to say, we, we do believe it. it. Even when it's tough, uh, we're going to demonstrate that. This God that you serve, Tony, that Donnie introduced you to way back when, Donnie Shell, if he is so good, how does he allow that hardship? How does he allow that pain to come into your world? Yeah. Well, I, there's, I have two answers to that, Brock. Number one, we have to understand that this life isn't all there is. If, if it was, then that would be a very legitimate question. Uh, but th there is more, and we know that we're going to see James again. Uh, we believe that with all of our hearts. So that softens the blow a little bit and lets us understand that it's not all about 
just material things. It's not all about what happens here on earth, but it's what happens in eternity. And then the second thing, um, there, there's a, a verse that Paul says in Second Corinthians that I love. He says, God comforts us so that we can comfort other people. Um, and I think that is part of the reason why he allows the bad things to happen to good people mm. so that we understand that, that bad things happen to everybody. That's because Satan uh, you know, has a lot of power in this world. But when those bad things happen, Christ is the one that comforts us. And if we can understand that, we're able to pass that on to other people. And I've certainly been able to do that. I, I've talked to hundreds of parents in the last 10 years who have lost kids, and it doesn't matter how, how you lose them. Uh, we had a, a situation. We, we won that Super Bowl in Indianapolis, and we got back uh, the next day for the parade. And the headline in the paper is uh, about a family that lost two boys in a train accident the night of the Super Bowl. And I got a chance to meet with that family. And, you know, it, it was just incredible to be able to say, hey, I know what you're feeling. And losing two boys is seems like it's impossible, but you, you can make it through this. And passing on that comfort that God had given us. Can you talk about the outpouring that came after the loss of your son, James? Incredible. Uh, incredible from all walks of life, from all over. Um, uh, letters, telegrams, cards uh, from people, from entire football teams, um, from, from fans from all over, uh, from churches from all over, people just saying, hey, we want you to know that, that we care. And that, again, that comfort that just goes beyond understanding um, it's something that uh, I'll never forget. You had talked about in many of these moments in your football career, Tony, that because of it, you were prepared for it. Because of this, I was prepared for this. Because of this, I was prepared for that. You can't ever be prepared for that situation, can you? You you really can't. But uh, in, in a way, God did that. Uh, I had little setbacks and little disappointments that you know seem very minor now. At the time, they were huge. And, and I realized I could get through it, and God always had something better. Mm-hmm. Uh I was, you know, coaching in Tampa and Trent Dilfer lost his four-year-old son and he was so strong uh, during that time. And I I remember talking to him and saying, Trent, I I don't see how you're doing this. I I could never go through that losing one of my boys. And I'm, you know, I remember it like it was yesterday, Trent saying, well, coach, you could if you had to, because God would give you the strength. Only God can do it. He's given me the strength to go through it. If you had to go through it, he'd give you the strength. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years later, uh, someone asking me, how are you going through this? And I'm repeating those same words that Trent said. You know, if you have to, you can, because God will give you the strength. Mm. Tony, and I believe that I had heard you share at a message one time of James, some of James' organs. Yes. Can you share that with going on and obviously impacted and empowering other lives? Can you share some of that? Yeah, I, I shared it at the Super Bowl breakfast that uh, that following January, um, you know, we had signed him up as an organ donor, and so um, they asked us, you know, did we want to follow through on this? And we definitely did. And uh, both of his corneas were used in uh, surgeries, and uh, actually ended up going to two ladies. Uh, and uh, the two ladies were able to see now because of, of his cornea and uh, some other organs donated, and, and they let us know who received those and what a blessing it had been to people. And uh, I just thought of, 
you know, Christ dying on the cross for us. And it just came through to me that, you know, if, if God had told me before this happened, Hey, we can, we can have two women who will be able to see now, and we can have some people who are going to go on and go forward and live because they've got, uh, you know, livers and heart and, and different organs. Um, but we have to take your son to do that. Are, are, are you all for that? And I'd have to say, no, no, I, I, as great as that is. And as, as wonderful as it is, you know, do it some other way. Uh, not, not with my son, but that was the, the choice that God made. And, and he did it, you know, to save us with, with his son. And it just, it was a lesson that came through crystal clear. And, uh, when, when I got that letter from the, uh, Oregon, uh, bank, I said, boy, I, now this is a, a perfect visual picture. I understand what Christ did on the cross. And you endure 2005 to win the championship in 2006. Yeah. I had a lot of thought about, you know, retiring after 2005. Uh, you know, in my mind, that was the ideal time. Everything was symmetric, 25 years in the league, and it was the time to go. But uh, Lauren and I talked about it. And I said, no, I couldn't retire now. People would, would think that, well, when the going gets tough, um, you know, that's the time to step away. So uh, we came back uh, in 2006 uh, with probably not as good a team as we had in 2005, but we had a team that was very close, very unified, fought through some ups and downs, and we win Super Bowl 41. And now that sporting career has turned into a broadcast career, <laughs> where I'm going to guess like me, you have an incredible amount of ministry. An incredible amount of opportunity, incredible platform to impact those around you and, and do so now from a broadcast studio rather than a sideline. Can you share what you have to say and what you want to say in today's day and age? In this culture today, you feel like you still can? I really can. Uh, I think so. And in visiting schools, um, which my wife and I do a lot, uh, they are very open to hearing it. And even at NBC, uh, my boss there, our producer, Sam Flood, has never asked me to not say anything that was on my mind. Uh, we had the controversy this year about Colin Kaepernick not standing for the national anthem. And he wanted me to talk about my experiences. And I, I said, I'll, I'll be glad to, Sam, but it can't be a 30-second you know, deal. I, I have to be able to say what's on my heart. And I talked about my dad being in the service and my dad talking about making the situation better, my mom counseling me. And I talked about praying during the national anthem as my, my form of protest and understanding that, that God is running this universe and running this country and putting him first. And they allowed me to say that on NBC. You ever wonder if it had not been Pittsburgh? You ever wonder and think back to if it had been the Montreal Alouettes? I, I do. Uh, I think about uh, that all the time. What if... You know, I had these feelings in my heart, these urges, but I didn't didn't follow them. What if I did something I, I really didn't want to do? I'm sure God could have worked it out, but I, I do feel very strongly. He he had a plan. He had a program. He was training me and preparing me. And because I followed him, especially later on, once I was 21 years old, because I really followed, uh, the path became a lot smoother. Tony, how can we share in all pro dads? First of all, if, if there's any men out there listening and you're interested in helping young people, if you if you want to be a better dad yourself, if you know somebody that you would like to encourage to be a better dad, go to the website, allprodad.com. We've got a lot of uh, tools to help men, uh, but uh, it, it's it's been 
uh, a real, real important part of what's going on here in Florida. Um, fatherlessness and dads not being involved, uh, even in, when they are in the home, probably the biggest epidemic we have right now. And, and we can cure a lot of our country's ills if we as men will uh, get back as leaders of our home the way we need to. Do what you think is going to make the situation better. Yes. I think, I think I'm going to have those words. Uh, I think that's probably going to be the title of this one. <laughs> let, me, let me finish with one more story, Brock. You talk about going forward and, and what impact we can have. Our church didn't have a midweek service, so my wife is um, just on me. Talk to the pastor. Talk to Pastor Altman. Can we get a Wednesday service or Wednesday Bible study? So I finally asked him, and he says, well, we'd love to, but we don't have anybody. To, why don't you lead it? That's why I wanted to give the, you know, advice. I don't want to lead it. And push came to shove, end up leading this midweek Bible study. Our groundskeeper with the Buccaneers, guy had been there for 30 years, heard that I was leading a Bible study. He and his wife started coming. Um, about three weeks ago, he came to me and said, our table leader at the Bible study led me to Christ. And you think, boy, you know, I had all these opportunities to talk to him and, and maybe I, you know, did something led by example or whatever. But years later, because of the relationship that he and I had, he comes to a Bible study and ends up being led to Christ. So it's just, uh, I, I think, awesome the platform the Lord gives us. And you never know uh, when you're going to reach one person in that course of the walk that God has laid out for you. 